Hello everyone, so I'm back with my friend Jin. I started off with someone that's of local origin and now I'm moving the whole show to be more local. So Upper Murray, Victoria, into the snowfields and then the Riverina, probably as far as Wagga and those places. And our guest today hails from one of those places, being The Rock, I think, from memory, isn't it? Jin, is it The Rock or is it Wagga? That's the one, man, The Rock. Yeah, the Rock. We might do a... five minutes south. Yeah, of Wagga, so... Today we're actually talking about something that's part of Wagga and it's, let's just not beat around the bush, there's a bit of a musical institution over there called the Home Tavern and my previous life as a trying to be in a band guy and Jin's current life as someone who still plays in bands all these years later, we both went through the home and even played some of the same bills together. So apologies in advance if we get nostalgic today, but it's upsetting to see yet another pure music venue for the lack of a better term shutting down but i actually wanted to start with for anyone who remembers you jin can you tell us about what you've been doing since we last spoke and just we'll, we'll go broad australia wide before we go local because <laughs> you've been doing some pretty awesome <laughs> shit no worries man so we've, we've spoken before on a podcast about busking around the world which i did for about three and a half years with a good mate of mine and current band member george and uh, got back to Australia after busking and touring and joining bands and whatever else. And then I spent a year working in the Northern Territory as a youth worker in a remote Aboriginal community. So I've just come back to Melbourne and uh, tried to hit the ground running with my gigs and my editing work and all my all my different little creative avenues that I try and float the boat with. <laughs> Very good. So we won't. We're obviously here to talk about the Home Tavern today. But is there anything? That just spur to the moment that you can think back about your time in the Northern Territory that you, either a funny story, I, I do remember you were tracking a, a car with a, I think a drone of some kind and ended up crashing the drone pretty <laughs> spectacularly into the into the side of a road. Is there anything else that comes to mind? <laughs> uh, you know, it was, I had some pretty cool, cool times. I had some pretty confronting times as well, but I think I think the coolest thing, man, not not so suspicious. Ah, oh, well, you know, you kind of live two lives out there. So you've got your your day to day life where you're a worker and you're responsible and you're trying to set a good example and distill good morals and values and, and story and stuff like that. And then and then you have these moments where it's nighttime and and you're not at work and you're together with all the other the stakeholders out in community and you go feral. And I think one of this is. This isn't the best story if any of the kids ever listened to this, but um, the local copper came around and we, we had a few beers and we're at the airport. And um, I bought a stick and poke tattoo set, so some needles and some ink. And uh, we were all just so, we were pretty, pretty wrecked, to put it nicely. And, uh, and we just got drunk and we all just started tattooing each other. Oh, no yeah, one's a tattooers, yeah. no, one's, no one's an artist, but we we're all just poking holes in each other. And I, I was the one that had to do the uh, well, that was doing the tattoo on the on the police officer. Anyway, he had this he had this saying that he took from Michael Jordan, and it was, "You miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take." So he wanted a tattoo that represented that, and he was a bit of a cowboy kind of thing. So he wanted to he wanted a rifle scope, and then next to it, one hundred percent. So we're all, I'm just so a bunch of really really I'm... easy things to draw, being a non tattooist. <laughs> yeah. So I tried to draw crosshairs in, in a circle and it was the most wrecked thing in the world. Like, it was wrecked. I think we used a toilet roll as the stencil for the for the uh, scope. 
and it, and it didn't look like that. It looked like shotgun splatter once right. I'd finished it. And then next to it, instead of writing 100%, I wrote the percent symbol. <laughs> 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 then 100 <laughs> aye, aye, aye. and then uh the next morning and after that we kind of we got in the car that taxis around the airplane and drove down the airstrip and attached some fireworks to a compound bow and shot the shot the arrows up into the air while the fireworks went off and it was the territory is just super wild man like it's super wild but anyway the next morning we all just woke up and the police officer didn't send us anything except for a single photo <laughs> This new tattoo on his leg. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so wrecked, and it's probably one of my fondest memories, but, uh, yeah, I probably I probably won't go back and visit there for a little while. No, that's a pretty amazing story. <laughs> so, yeah, with that, that's an awesome introduction. Welcome back to the show. Let, let, Thanks, man. It's l- good to be back. Let's talk about the home tavern. So, it was a place that I actually had some of my best and least enjoyable times in Wagga when it came to being on the stage and best being I'll start with the worst because I actually relate the worst moment was I got this new amplifier it was a Saldano 100 watt amplifier and I'd used it once for an underage gig up in Wagga before that and I never had more compliments in my life on how great my guitar sounded so I thought okay we're not playing to kids our music's a little bit progressive it should go down even better with the slightly older audience, like the over-18 audience at the home. And I ended up cooking the amplifier because it had a tiny little imperfection on one of the coils in this massive transformer that's in there. Humongous transformer. The amplifier literally is a fucking transformer. <laughs> it, it, it cooked itself, and then I'm playing along, and I was used to people telling me, oh, you're not loud enough. So I was looking, and the crowd looking at me like, yeah, we can see you moving your fingers, and they look creepy like Matt Bellamy from Muse a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but not as good. <laughs> but we can't hear anything you're doing. And then the singer of your band at the time, Chanel, actually walked onto the stage because he's a very polite man and would never leave you hanging for an entire gig. He walked on and he just whispered to me, I think your amp's dead because <laughs> there was nothing coming out. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's seriously the worst. Chanel is a gentleman. Yeah, that was the worst moment. I think, oh, I've got this great amp. It cost me a fortune. Last gig was the first time that I think I'd truly won over the crowd in Wagga as to what I was doing on the guitar because for once they could actually hear everything I was doing. And, yeah. then, and then it blew up. And then this guy from another band that I'd never met, he offered me his amplifier, which was already set up on the stage, and I ended up walking to the other side of the stage, our bass player swapped sides, and I plugged into this tiny little distortion box for a band that was nowhere near as heavy as us. <laughs> And I, the whole time I was thinking, wow, this just does not sound like me in the slightest. Nothing about this is Josh guitar sound. It doesn't suit my playing style. And I had these three older guys in a band come up to me later. And they said to me, no, we didn't really like that slick sound and stuff at the start. But then you swapped sides and fuck, it was good. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah. At what cost? <laughs> yeah. But, but I think that I just loved the grittiness because we suddenly turned into a raw sounding punk band out of nowhere just because of the change of guitar sound. And I just remember they were so adamant about how much better it sounded. And I was thinking, wow, there's some good times. <laughs> so I know not the greatest story in the world, but it's one that just came to mind. No, but, but, but I think that's a pretty good uh, embodiment of what the home was, you know? That is the place that you have your best and worst gigs. There was such an eclectic mix of people there. That's, I guess, the thing that I was trying to get at, that 
you never were just playing to one kind of person at a gig there. There was always people that were there just to support whatever was happening on the stage, as hard as it was sometimes to get them to walk up and pay to get up that staircase. But, yeah. Yeah. So what we're talking about, for anyone who's wondering, is the Home Tavern is an institution, and unless I, I may have forgotten to even mention it at the start of the episode, it's actually closing down. So... First, we might just start, Jin, do you have any good stories from when you were playing there, anything funny? And then we might just talk about our memories more generally of just hanging out there and seeing bands and stuff. The home is definitely where you went to cut your teeth. I think my very first gig in Wagga was at the home. And I actually might even say I think it was the last gig I'd played in Wagga, in, in Subrusion at least. Um, and there's nothing really specific about it because... For me, it feels like all those nights just rolled from one into another because they, they were such a haze, you know, and they were so much fun and you're having drinks and it's it's the one venue where you feel like you can kick your shoes off and walk around barefoot, jump on stage, go nuts, do anything you want, and every single person there's your friend, every single person that's playing there, whether you've met them before that night or not, they were your friends, you know, they were... Everyone always seemed to ride the same wave when you when you went upstairs to the home. So um, I've had I've had plenty of plenty of crazy nights there, but nothing really specific off the top of my head is is really sticking out right now. I think it's all just like I'm in this reflective reflective uh, frame of mind. Yeah, and about just, it. And just it's for down, it's dark. just for those people listening, this isn't two month old news i don't think it was well i don't think it was well known or publicized for the amount sometimes when a venue's going to close down there's an obvious decline or the rumors are spreading like it didn't make it or if they did it wasn't making it outside of wagga itself through the broader music community that until recently when the report started to spread that the venue was going to close down for an indeterminate amount of time and may not come back as a music venue at all i'm not sure what the plan is on that front but do you remember just I'm trying to jog a few memories here for you if you're just struggling a little bit there, Jin. Do you remember our friend Spud's birthday? What was the name of the incredible band that he had play there? Uh and the drum sings. And the drummer and the drummer sings and they The old boys. Oh, I, oh what was it? Is it something thin? That word is popping into my head right now. But I do I do know that band. I I I've seen them at, at the home a few times. You know, including Spud's yeah. obviously. Yes. And I saw them. I really feel bad I can't remember because they're one of the great live bands I think I've seen. And I don't think it would matter if they were playing on a pontoon on a lake in your backyard or on a massive it's funny you say festival that because stage. It's Spud's mother's birthday. They came and played at the caravan park. So they did play it in a backyard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the kind of guy well, they are. They're a spectac- yeah. spectacular band, like unbelievable tight band and just awesome yeah. vibe. I, I remember them playing downstairs a couple of times and I truly felt like I was being transported back in time. That the smell of the room, it had the right amount of light, like the lights weren't up too much, which a lot of modern venues to me when they have bands just had the lights up yeah. way too much. And it just doesn't doesn't have the right vibe and they had smoke machines and this crazy massive drum sound from this tiny, <laughs> tiny little drum kit and an insane guitar player Awesome vocals and the bass player. Like, was, that wasn't every single one yeah. of them was really, really well skilled yeah. and just knew where to play and where not to. But, 
that type of vibe or that quality of a band in other places of a similar size to the home might have been the standout over several months. But they were among many bands that were a super high caliber that would play there on a regular basis. I've said it many times before, and people around Aubrey, where I live, used to get a little bit upset that I actually would contend that when I was playing in Wagga regularly, that the average of the... Like, if you took an average of how good a band was in Wagga versus Albury, and we think that we're Little Melbourne, and we think that Wagga's a hick town. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> just how would, it is. People around here think that, that Wagga's... Right now. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. But the actual quality of musicianship, and even more so the quality of the stagecraft of bands that used to play up there, was actually far higher than Albury. Like, most of the better bands I could think of that were either playing in pubs or playing original shows or whatever, they were actually coming from that part of the world at the time. And I think a lot of that had to do with the home, that they were they had sometimes two bands running on the same night across two yeah. different rooms. Like not a lot of not a lot of venues were that committed to live music to have more than one thing happening on the same night. It, the home is very, very special like that. It's always seemed to be the um like the motivator of running a night was what music are we supporting tonight? You know, who are we booking in? Who's coming in? Hey, there's a space upstairs. Someone fill it. Kind of, you know, it was never a problem to book the home. It was always, there was always other bands playing there, but whenever it came to an empty room and, hey, Trev, can we come and play a show? Yep. <laughs> oh, okay. That was literally the conversation. <laughs> yep. You know, so yep. massive, massive supporters. And I just don't even know where the young blokes wanting to play in Morgan now will play. Sorry, that's probably where I wanted to go next, so we may as well get to it now if you're already thinking that, is I've seen it happen in my own life that I was intimately involved with Sodans and then for a myriad of reasons, not all related to music, that was just one part of what happened there, that business didn't work and the for a while the local music scene was hit incredibly not just as far as fans of music that weren't seeing touring bands anymore. It was even worse, I think. The biggest effect was on the emerging local talent not thinking that they had anywhere else to play, that they couldn't see the light as to where the support gigs going to yeah. come from to pad out our yeah. resume. And, like, where are we going to get to play with bands that are far, far better than us without leaving town and, you know, going to Melbourne where maybe we're not quite ready to be on a bill full of bands and that's, and that's what it felt like right you know it's if we didn't get those really important slots in our own town how do we think we're going to have the confidence to walk into someone else's and and have that confidence even if we are good enough do you know what i mean not not having that that confidence to to go there and own it is is a really big thing um and just just on sodans like that was you know the Home and, and Sodans were probably my two favourite venues I'd ever played in. Even saying that now, having played all around the world, because I've had so many good memories in there, met so many good people there, like obviously all you mob from Aubrey, that's how we all connected through The Home and through Sodans, and it's going to be that or apartments. What you've said is important because I have people ask me on a continuous basis, they think that the Sodans mythos is almost like 
Steve, Steve Jobs's reality distortion field. Surely it couldn't <laughs> have been that great. And why does everyone talk about it? And why do people not think that any band, any venue doing music is as good as what that was? And it's, I think why my fear is that unless there's a really dedicated plan from the bands and the leaders of the scene in Wagga to not let it hit people the way that it did in Albury, to find somewhere else to try and keep something going, to keep the fire alive, so the spirit in, you know, the energy in the scene doesn't die completely. Because if Albury's any example, and, you know, they're somewhat analogous, population size, the type of demographics, etc., the incomes of people that live in both cities... Starting that from scratch when you've let it die out completely is really fucking hard. It's almost, it, you can't do it in you one cannot. venue. You need a massive yeah, number of venues. So I'm hoping that there's a plan there, but I think it really goes down to, and we might finish up with this before my voice completely dies, <laughs> is what do you think it is about venues like a Sodans or now with the home closing that makes it a music venue? I've had people ask me that before and I've been thinking about it myself. What is it that makes a, a venue special when it comes like, to music? For me, it's always come down to it doesn't really matter what a venue presents itself as or the amount of money they invest, in, invest into what it is that they try to present themselves as. Um, there's, there's plenty of places that invest a lot of money in good staging and lighting and sound and uh, crappy venues. They just don't have that soul. And I think when when they try and refurbish these businesses like what they've done to Sodans and what is, might potentially happen to the home, I'm not too sure exactly what the direction is there. But the, th- the things that they were was here's two venues and our focus is, you know, a good nightlife and good live music. That was a part of the plan, you know, and, it's, and it was the, the cultivating that and it was supporting uh, artists and it was letting artists have involvement when it comes to running those nights and 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 helping influence the big, you know, to try and get the bands to come through. And it seemed to be this really community-minded approach because they're the ones on the stage, you know, like you, they're the ones that are going to have all the, the contacts or the or be you know, invested in, in learning more about what's happening musically in that area and outside of it. Um, and I think that connection was really important. And from what I'm understanding now from booking shows and gigs for originals and covers is there isn't that connection when it comes to pubs nowadays. They're, that Anything's a business. Everyone's trying to survive. I, I totally get it. You've got to, you've got to do what you do to make your money. But it just seems like at very few places nowadays I walk into and I'm like, ah, oh, this is going to be a good show. And I've just walked in the front door. You know, I felt that at the home and I felt that at Soden's. There's maybe a few other venues around where I felt like that. There's a hostel in Wales that I played at. I always stayed there for three months and every every day I was like, yeah. Because the bar manager was, the focus was, yeah, we're a hostel and we have a bar, but live music's our game. Like This is this is the operative. This is the focus. And, uh, and everything else is kind of secondary to that. And as a result, it's became an institution and people go there Every single night of the week, there'll be someone playing, and it doesn't matter if it's full or if it isn't. You know, it's just it's 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 part of the plan. Whereas now, music, live music, especially because it comes with financial risk, I guess 
you know, that's what that's what you're told. But uh, I really don't know how much of a risk it really is when you're walking into a multi-million dollar venue um, and they've got like 60 people on payroll. But uh, yeah, it just, it just seems like there's no value placed on the arts in general and this is just the part of it that we're involved in, Josh. Like, is, is these venues, you know, apartments make money. Cocktail specials make money. DJs cost less than they can do for five hours and we can only play an original set for one and a half. You know, it's just... I guess when when we're talking about cultural institutions, though, you are... I mean, everything you said is 100% right and I concur. But I think that there's another level that makes truly memorable nights for people and memorable days and memorable events, etc., and makes people crave, like I know people talk to me about Sodans, that they wish it was still open and they're 10 years older and, you know, they probably haven't gone to a gig for five years because they're in their 30s and they might have yeah, to Or, or even now, another party. they still you know? talk about it. Yeah, yeah. They won't go to anywhere else to see it. And I think it's because, and I'll, I'll frame it this way, a guy asked me one time because he knew that I was involved with helping uh, Liam Willoughby at the time, he I took over basically his role and he took over a more senior role over the whole business at the time and I just did the bands. This was a guy from another venue that booked the same band that we had and it was one of the most talked about shows ever in Albury and they were having the same band and they couldn't get people excited in the same way. And the band itself was probably even more popular by the time they'd booked them. And I said to the guy, are you asking me how to get people or are you asking me how to get people to love seeing bands? And he said, oh, we want people to talk about us the way they talk about Soden still. And I was probably being a bit of a jerk at the time, but I said it like this. I said, <laughs> do you love music? Because he was the bar manager. He said, yeah, I, I like it. He said, I like music. It's one of the things that I, I like. He didn't say love. I said, do the direct decision makers in the business, are they you know, part owners? Are they owners? Do they love music? And he's like, yeah, no. They probably like it more than I do, but they're not music people. I said, does every bartender that serves every single person every moment of the week, do they love music? And he's like, oh, I couldn't say. I was like, well, who loves music? Does the person booking the bands love it? Like truly, truly love it? Do they have taste? Do they know who's an up-and-comer, which bands mix well together, Who's how to balance the personalities of different kinds of music scenes, et cetera, et cetera? Do they love it enough to know that even if you think a death metal band and a tech death band and a metalcore band sound the same, that their crowds are completely different and they don't like each other. And it's a different, the bands aren't anything alike. Like some have egos, some don't, some are really misanthropic. Like that's the sort of love you need. You need to love knowing about the scene, knowing the people in it, what it comes down to. And what I was saying was no one's going to love your venue until you love the music as much as they do or more. And he didn't get yeah, it. I mean, that might just sound really esoteric. And even saying it back, I'm thinking, fuck, you sound like a massive jerk. That, no wonder he looked at you like you were a cockhead at the time, because <laughs> he did. <laughs> it's like, okay, this guy's off his rocker. And But I, I think that it's right. I mean, you can't – a music venue can't work. And I know why – I mean, in my outside life, I know I have some insight into why decisions are made financially in, in venues. Music is hard to make – work financially for anybody regardless if you don't have an understanding and a passionate understanding of every part of every part of the scene from the booking to the bands to the people who get along with whoever to the sound people interacting with the bands and who hates each other who loves each other 
<laughs> what what bands have had success other places together and why that won't work at your venue so you can't just roll the same show in because it's not the same group of hunters on the different day of the week or whatever. If you're not that invested in it, I understand why people have pulled back from music because it's really hard if you are using it as just some way to get people in the venue. We hope it works. Leverage. Yeah, yeah. it's not leverage. You know, you have, you have to be genuinely invested and interested in in helping that community breathe and and you know find their find their place and and supporting supporting and I, I yeah hit the nail on the head Josh you, I, I didn't expect it I didn't expect to go on a rant I'm sorry but <laughs> that's all right <laughs> when rants rants are good because it needs to come out you know right anyway well thank you so much for joining me and hopefully we can talk again about. I'd love to know a little bit more about the trip. I am trying to keep this local, so I won't go too much into the trip tonight. I want to try and yeah. So maybe if next time we're in person and we, you know, there's a little. This is obviously Skype to phone sort of situation. If you're listening at the moment, and yeah, it's not quite the same as being in person with someone. So maybe we can look at your trip around Australia and then the Northern Territory when we next see each other in person. Yeah, man, p- p- plenty of wild stories from out there. Well. I'd like to know if there's any that are going to top the one you told us earlier because if that's the case. <laughs> yeah, there's a, yeah it's, it's always hard on the spot, but, you know, there's a couple. It's, yeah, yeah, very it's, good. It's just, it's just wild. I, I, cool. I actually gave – I didn't give you any heads up, I guess, about any other thing besides the home, so you did well to pull that one out, and that was a absolute, <laughs> an absolute cracker. Yeah, it's, it, it is a corker, man. I still, I still get texts from uh, – other stakeholders occasionally that just send me a message that's the percent sign on 100. <laughs> just And that's it. I'll never live it down. But, you know, that's what yeah. happens when you go into the middle of the desert, get drunk and get get some random dude to do tattoos yeah, on your exactly. skin that has never done them before. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs>